Episode 288 of the Midnight in the Bay podcast. I'm your host, Alex Woody. I got a guest, Mean Dave. Are you freaking kidding me, guy? And he's got multiple Mean Daves in front of him. You, you're a triplet or quadruplet? Something. Something like that. Something. <laughs> this is my, this is my, uh, this is the committee in my head. Uh, I made this, these, this background on purpose because I hate these photos. Um, I love them. Yeah, a lot of people do. Uh, but the, I hate, I never wear this sweater uh, unless, unless it's to funerals. And I had, I was, uh, in order to do a gig, a gig that never happened. Um, and I'm not going to, I don't want to name the, person because she's really cool and I'm not I'm you know I, I get what she was trying to do but in the promotion and, it, and it, believe me it totally helped me but in the promotion it, in the in the build up for the promotion of a show that I already for I already predicted was not going to happen because her and this producing partner of hers I already I knew the the, the, the other guy and I'm like they're not going to get along this gig's never going to happen however I got a free professional headshot uh, run out of it, and which meant I'm gonna have to take some photos that I probably don't like these, but I got to take some photos that I do like, and and those are the ones that I I use. Um, but I made when I did her podcast, I made this as the background <laughs> of all three of the 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 takes that she because she loved these shots. She used she used the one that I think I'm smiling. The one I'm or the one right there that I'm smiling. Uh, she liked that one the most. So, like, if you if you know me, Dave, this is the most hilarious thing you've ever seen. Yeah, well, no, it's not. There's there's worse. I have worse. There's worse. I haven't made it a background. I've, I've shared it with you know my closest friends because they're. Uh, I mean, they're they're funny. I don't. They're embarrassing as fuck. I did a, a photo shoot for this uh, class that was teaching me about uh, how to audition for commercial work. And um, the Cozarts, Steve and Laurie Cozart, they're very cool people. I, I still know them. I'm still friends with them. And um, they had a very, they had a bargain of a class to uh, give you, like if they deemed that you, if they saw potential in your ability to get print work, which is like work in, you know, anytime you see an ad on Bart's, on the bus, on anything. I want to see you on Bart. No, no, this this wasn't on Bart. This is, these were the, the shots that we took to appeal to people who do those kinds of ads. And I have, I have a card with four different photos on it that are hilariously embarrassing. I don't have my facial hair. They told me to shave. And then when I showed up, they were like, where's your beard? I'm like, God damn it. You told me to shave. And now we we're already set to do the, the, the shots that day. So, and uh, there was the school of rock shot that we took with my guitar dressed up like, like kind of like my version of uh, Angus Young from ACDC, where I'm in like a oh like no, a don't tell me you're wearing short shorts. I'm not wearing shorts, but no, but I'm wearing like a nice shirt and a nice over. Like basically, I bought these clothes that were going to be returned uh, just for this shoot. These were some of those clothes. <laughs> And I mean, it's just shit I never wear. They're doing product in my hair. My hair is cut shoulder length. It looks so stupid. And then I did uh, another shot. The best shot in it 
is me look me in the suit looking like like Rodney Dangerfield style. I got a, a full suit with the red tie and my hey, hair. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm telling you. Right, right, me I'm, not looking that, I'm not looking that nervous, but I'm saying it's my my Rodney shot. Um, but it's my hair slicked back. Like I never slicked back my hair. And then there, these are like four photos that are totally not natural to how I, I am. The other shot was me in scrubs to look like, you know, some, some, you know, working. You know, yeah. Like hospital if, professional. If I say nurse and I see you, I'm scared. <laughs> I, I, not when you, if you saw this version of me, you'd be like, Oh, that's, you know, bitch Dave. Yeah. He, he could handle nursing. And, uh, and I'm not saying, Hey, nurses are hardcore, man. I got, I got friends that are nurses and there are, that's no, that's not bitch work, man. Um, and then, uh, the, uh, the, the last one is me. This is the one that's the most embarrassing. It's me as a, as a generic sports fan. And I, and I got like a foam finger and like, and I'm in a hot dog it's sit, sitting, uh, in the, in the stand of, of uh i mean if i if i knew if i knew we were going to talk about it, i would have brought it out so you could just see it in my little video nina g has one i gave her for christmas one year she has it up on her fridge um i booked up people with it that like you know like i said good friends that i know won't like you know throw me throw me under the bus for a cheap laugh but but uh you know if uh if if you're if you're cool with me and i'm cool with I'll hook you up with one. So they're funny. If you know me, they're just, they're so like, they make all, they're so not like, oh yeah. So then the image of me is I'm holding a hot dog. I got a foam finger and I'm like, yeah, like that. So I don't do that. I'm not that. I love, I love going to sporting events, but I don't look like that, Adam, unless somebody's getting hurt, you know? So I, I can't even not laugh without looking at the picture to the left of you. What do you mean? The, the one you smiling. I can't even, I can't even. I know. Look so, they're so fucking, I, that's what I'm saying. These, the one in the middle is, is exactly how I felt. Oh, that's, that's you. Like, one in the middle is you. Can we move this along? Yeah. And uh, yeah. And even the eyes up sky, like, you know, but that one, yeah, me smiling. That was, plus I never hang over chairs. With I want to see, I want to see you filmed. During one of these like photo shoots, like I want to see me and Dave in a comedy photo shoot and what that's that like. It's not that interesting, man. My my real life isn't that. Like, I mean, that this was there were a bunch of comedians doing that. You know, like Chris Riggins, I think was like right behind me in doing that. You know, he was. He, you know, he's more interesting because he loves being a ham and all things. You know, you know. I want to. I want to hear about. Mean Dave before he got into recovery, like what that guy was like. Um, it was not. Uh, it's not that hard to describe. Um, did you have any like crazy shit happen where you're like, oh shit, Mean Dave is like too mean? Like, I had I had uh, had some incidents, but um, it because again, I came from heavy music uh, into comedy and that world. I was. I was fairly tame. I was a character. I was just a loudmouth character who'd crack in jokes. And I, I was yeah. you know, definitely perceived as somebody who, you know, I might amp up my, my, my attitude for as a shtick, but it was essentially kind of who I was. And then um, when I got into comedy, I got very resentful of what was accepted 
in the comedy realm. And that's why I relate to it. Even, you know, there's characters in the comedy scene um, when I see them kind of get negative and, and all of that. And as much as I may not, uh, as much as I know that it's, <laughs> it's something that, you know, you I love Dave. I love you because if you're negative on stage, me and Dave will tell you. And I love that about you. You'll yeah. tell me like, hey, what is depressing up there? <laughs> in the in the end, I just did that actually recently. There was a guy that, that uh, he's and he uh, he's a good comic. His name's Colin Braun. And oh we yeah, did, yeah, yeah, yeah. You no, know, Colin. Yeah, he's yeah. and he's a funny dude. But we did a show. I felt he kind of unnecessarily mentioned this one table. That <laughs> it was really strange. There was a table, a group meetup of widows and widowers. What? And they were all they were all older. Yeah, there was I mean, they bought tickets, man. They had. Them. And it's like older folks, mostly women. The guy to girl ratio is pretty good. And I, I wanted to comment on that. But Colin already was going into like kind of such such because uh, he had his divorce and he's and he and he he uh, he talked about them, even though they, they weren't doing anything to provoke the show. And um, and so he kind of felt it necessary to try it. And I think it kind of almost his people were, were laughing at what he was saying. But I think his the way he kind of addressed them, it, it you know, and it, when I talked to him afterward, it didn't really seem like something he was kind of picking up on that. It might not have been the right move. And uh, and I kind of I, I said something to them. I said, I you know, this table right here. Thumbs up. Not going to mess with you. Um and um, but it would, but, but that was one of, that was one of those cases where no, right after his set, and I said, man, that was a depressing fifteen minutes, and they and the audience kind of laughed, like they they not kind of they did laugh. Um, but but can, I don't but think- can I can I say something I like I like about you is like you'll tell us younger comics because you've been in the game a little longer. Ain't that much younger, man. Yeah, I mean, it's okay. <laughs> No, but I am. I, I am. No, I and like, I no but some, you know, like sometimes we'll go up there with our bullshit and it's like, if you're doing comedy, do comedy, like be funny. Like, don't go up there with your like, do your best. No, you want, I, 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 you want to know what I'm, why I say that is because I've done it. And that's what, what I'm getting at with my, before I got into recovery, um, it, it was slow going because I was, my comedy at first, the, my comedy formula when I was in a band was I just, took whatever was kind of in my head and it was, it, I didn't realize that I did kind of have some, not wouldn't call it material, but I had beats. That, like punk, rock, punk rock. It was, I mean, it was a rock and roll band with some yeah. punk rock metal elements, but it was ultimately rock and roll. And, uh-huh. but we had me and my drummer, we didn't have like a set routine down, but we had like a vibe. It was much like jam and we would improvise and yeah. we were natural smart asses. So we just kind of, would do that and it worked and I was the loud mouth. He was the quiet one, like the straight man and it worked and people got it too. music audiences too. Like they, they're not there for comedy, but when, if you can pull off getting laughs, like comedy room laughs in a music audience, it's pretty good. So I got kind of cocky, I guess, when I thought I could transition into comedy based on my, my background, knowing comedy, being a fan, even though I'm mostly in music, but I consider myself an entertainer and I thought I could do it. I thought I could transition into it easier. Yeah. And I was way fucking wrong. And, um, and so once I, once that happened and then once I started really fully investing myself into comedy, which took some time, but, um, 
but realizing that in order to get better at it, I had to really just devote myself to it. Um, I had a bad habit of taking my resentments on stage and trying to channel them into comedy while still resentful, feeling resentful. And it took another person who was doing comedy at the time, um, drawing a blanket, her name, but uh, she actually just came, moved back to the Bay area for a minute. Um, uh, But she was, she was somebody, she was too, also a musician kind of trying to be a comedian. Um, very smart, very smart. And she, I remember what she said after an open mic where I really wasn't tr- even trying to be funny. I was just trying to to be shitty to the other comics because it was just us comics, but everybody. It was- sounds like you were almost like trying to do therapy, but like you didn't even realize you were doing therapy. Nah, it wasn't even therapy because therapy, you're still like, it was what it was, was just raw. Um, like emotion, like. Raw, raw, raw resentment. It, yeah. it, more than emotion it was literally just like this is bullshit and i would go up there and be like look this is bullshit and and right. and not which even i kind of like i kind of like that you no, and people yeah. some people thought yeah and it, it but just doesn't but especially if you have an audience it it yeah. doesn't translate right. um and everything that i was resenting them for um you know it was i wouldn't say it was unfair but it was it was I didn't, I didn't have the, like, kind of the right to really be calling them out about it just yet. Yeah. And Wait, why, and I, why, why were you calling them out? Because I didn't have any material. <laughs> I didn't have, I wasn't doing what I thought I could go up there and wing it more. And instead what I was learning was I was kind of like a band that was writing their songs on stage, which you can't do. Um, yeah. you gotta, you gotta kind of be prepared in some way, shape or form, even if you write on stage, which I tend to do, yeah. you still got to have an idea, uh, something that, that like gives you a spark that you can speak on that kind of work, out, work out a little in your head or on your notes. If I don't do notes, but I can, I kind of note in my head because a lot of what makes, makes whatever I do work, uh, it has to come from the heart kind of thing. And when it comes from the heart. I don't have a hard time remembering it at all. That um, like, like, like one of that, like, like your, I don't know if it's your go-to story, but that story about peeing is, was that like something you went to or is that something you built off of? Peeing, which story? song about, or the pit, which, which part of it? Just the like whole a, thing about you peeing. Uh, in the both in, they were both inspired by real people. Um, my, my, one of my ex roommates uh, was a guy named Aaron who never really was at home. He was usually because he worked off site a lot and he would stay at places close to the site. He lived in this place that I live in now for a long time. In the last few months of him living here, he was in between jobs. He was, he ended up moving in with his girlfriend, but um, he never been here that long, like with a continuous amount of time. And during that time was when I noticed I was hearing clearly what sounded like someone peeing echoing in the hallway and I open the door and I'm like, this motherfucker leaves the door open when he pees. Holy shit. Like I just never, yeah. we never knew this about him because he was barely there. Maybe right. the other day John knew about it. I didn't know about it. And, right. and it was, it was funny. Um, so that was just something I kept in mind when I ended up generating the material that was based in my, my roommates incident with my current roommates, which are both gone by now. Um, are you by yourself then, now? 
I'm right. Well, there's another, there's a roommate now who uses one room as a commuter space. And then the other roommate, John, who I wrote a joke about what I thought was him blasting porn, but it turned out to him having actual sex. Uh, he, uh, he moved out just recently and there was a little scandal over that. Hey, what's, what's worse hearing a guy thinking he's blasting porn or finding out he's having sex What's worse. I don't know. You got to ask the girl, really. I don't know. Maybe he was doing both. Too. He might have been doing both. Because um, I, I don't think <laughs> maybe that, I don't think he has that good of sex that I heard. I was like, maybe they're fucking with porn <laughs> bumping. Um, Lady, but you should piece, leave here. <laughs> the other connection to the P story, this is the more interesting part, was yeah. the one that I connected to uh, from the city. And it became one of my first and strongest callbacks I've ever used. I, I rarely do use like standard comedy devices until I realized this this connects to it because I do the joke that I didn't do this, but I do the joke about how in order to try to get Aaron to stop peeing with the door open, I went in there and peed with him. Right, uh, right, and, right. And then I Aaron's response to it is very in line with what Aaron would. Aaron was a super cool guy. He was so friendly. And I was like, if I went in there and peed with him, he'd be like, what's up, Dave? I haven't seen you in a minute. Like he would kind of start chit-chatting. Right. Um my response was I can't pee when people are talking to me, that kind of thing. That's the so like the- <laughs> hey, so when you do a bit like that for the first time, are you trying it out? And then later on you're thinking, oh, this would be funny. Like well, like, like what happens is some what I end up doing, like I didn't have the part of I can't pee. that came naturally from what I do is I try to I, I try to tell the scenario up to the real point and then I try to embellish and okay. the embellishment tends to come more from a point of pressure where because I the lying part out there and tried to think it out. It's like trying to take a shit and force yourself to take a shit. However, right. if I bring myself to the brink of something on stage. I'm more likely to to kind of like jiggle it loose. So it's kind of like I can write to a point with ideas, but the punchlines almost all the time have to be found on stage in the natural moment. And then I once I find them, then I got to try them and see them if they work again. And then I'll know if it's like a set punchline. So the again, the other P part, the the connector piece yeah. was going to use my ATM in San Francisco. And this is this was a true thing. There was a guy and uh, again, I don't I don't assume he was homeless, but this dude had the homeless costume on. He had the homeless vibe on uh-huh. just in walking on the street. He was walking in the same general direction as me and he was pretty close behind me. And I went to go into my ATM and I wasn't like, you know, thinking he was going, I really didn't even think he was going into the same ATM. And, and I swiped my card, pushed the door open and I just went into the ATM. I didn't think to hold the door open for the dude or anything like that. But what happened was once I was at the ATM depositing money, I, I look over because somebody came in, I look over and it's him. And I'm like, Oh fuck, I should have held the door open for him. And he's not making a big deal about it at all. I just felt, you know, slightly discriminatory based, you know, on class or he was a black, black guy, dude. black guy. Yeah, he was a black dude. So I kind of right. felt like maybe I don't want him to think I'm, I'm racist. I'm right. I'm kind of getting all that guilt. Right. While he, he just withdrew some money and he was gone right. while right. I was trying to get up the nerve to just say, hey, I'm sorry, I didn't I didn't hold the door open for you right now. Once I'm done, I think that's the end of it. And I'm just stuck with my guilt, right? I walk out 
And now I'm walking up the street. This is up the street from where uh, uh, Vahe Hove's show Best of SF used to be. It was up Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm walking back up in that direction mm-hmm. and I see the dude and uh, he's directly oh, across. He said he's directly across. Uh, I think it's mission. Yeah. It's whatever the next street is parallel to market. He's across mission facing me right next to the, where the newspaper stand shit is and all that. Yeah. 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 Got, and he's not hiding it. He's got his dick out for everyone to see right at the corner peeing into the like peeing just next to the the newspaper stand so it's like he's got it hidden if you're walking on the other side of the newspaper stand towards him but from all other directions especially the intersection of 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 the street intersection anyone could see his dick if you just look in that general he was I didn't look into the sun, man. I didn't want to. I, I assumed it was OK. It was enough that I saw that he had a dick. All right. And so I walk as I'm and I'm like, all I'm thinking was I'm like, thank God I didn't apologize to this asshole. Right. <laughs> That's all I thought in my head. Right. That's the real thought. That's the real thought to myself. Now, right. I told this story that very night at at the at the set I did. And I told that honest thought of just like, yeah, thank God I didn't apologize to him. That isn't that's funny in just a natural conversation of what actually happened. But in comedy, in comedy, you know, performance, it wasn't it it was it got laughs, but it wasn't like there wasn't quite a bit there. Yeah. And I felt like there was something there. Don't know what. I'll figure it out later. And then and oddly enough, it was back at Best of SF when I was hosting one night. And it dawned on me in the middle of my set after I did the setup with the roommate stories, with the peeing with Aaron. And I can't I can't uh, I can't pee when people are talking to me. And then it dawned on me as I because I was like, I decided for some fucking reason, I decided to close with the peeing story of the dude up the street because I'd been trying it. I figured and I'm like, I'll figure it out. Maybe there's something there. And then I found it. And and I cannot believe I risked, you know, I, but it's not that high of stakes. Like I've done that show forever. I'm hosting. I'm not I've already had a good set. But it's don't like don't up. but don't you have to like try shit and be a fucking weirdo up there? That's like, the point. No, this was the point. But the, the key thing is normally I would always suggest do something new in the middle of your set. For whatever reason, I was I was ending my decent hosting set with telling the story of the guy up the street with the ping and in the middle of the bit it totally hit me that what i what i what i need to do i walked i i basically i have the whole setup we do we're in the atm uh he walks out i'm stuck with my guilt i walk outside i just say to myself if i ever have this chance again if something like this happens again i'll apologize quicker and I just say, well, be careful what you wish for, because then I walked outside and that gentleman was right outside, still there, standing in the middle of the street with his dick out for everyone to see, peeing in the middle of the street. And I was shocked. And I thought, oh, my God, here's my chance to apologize. And I said, sir, I'm so sorry I didn't hold the door open for you. And he says, man, I can't pee when someone's talking to me. And I was and that's that just then again. It, now, see, that's not funny when I'm telling the joke bit in just our conversational kind of shit, but you do it on stage with the amped up thing, it works. And there's something weird about how the absurdity of comedy works on stage, but it, but in actual conversational shit, 
it, like, again, I tell that, I tell the real story on stage, don't work. I can tell it to you now and you, you're cracking up at it because you can almost picture it, you know? It's weird. It's weird how comedy works. It's so stupid. It's so stupid and so weird. I, you, you just nail it on the head. Like, I'll tell a friend a joke and then go do an open mic and people are looking at me like, you need therapy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, what... What did I, you know what I mean? You're like, what did I do wrong? But it's just like, you, you can't predict it. And then sometimes I'll go on stage and just improv the whole time. And it'll be better than anything I've ever written. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know well, what what that, well, think about what that stuff. First off, also, if you're comfortable in the spot, it also, it has to do with your, the, the key to anything that I see work in, whether it's, whether it's prepared, whether it's improvised, whatever the key that almost always, even with like the one-off somebody who's never done comedy before and they get on stage and they, they kill this first magic set or whatever, the whole through line through all this shit is confidence in who you are. That's all it is. So if you're feeling confident and it's, and it's real, yeah, you can probably improvise and, and get laughs from an audience because an audience is responding to how sure of yourself you are in who you are and in, in doing this, the moment, even if you're bombing, you need to be confident because funny thing is there's bombing sets that are sad and there's bombing sets that are still funny, even though the audience doesn't find them funny. And the, the key so like, do you find your sets better when you go to a meeting or you do stuff that like is kind of, I never, do, I never do comedy. Shit to do. I never do comedy at a meeting. I never work bits. No, but like, no, no, like my, my point is like, do you think your comedy is better? Like when you've gotten all your checkpoints for the day done? I don't know. I don't, I don't really have like checkpoints for the day. Like, you know you're what like, I mean? I like, like, I don't know how to explain it. Like, like for me, like if I don't work out or do certain things, I feel like I'm crazy for the day. So I feel like if I do these certain certain things, I feel like my comedy is better. You know what I mean? Well, that's that you what you're what you're saying is you have a routine, a general right. living routine. And right. if you're not, if you're not doing that routine, then you tend to perform with a lack of confidence. That's what I'm exactly. t- that's what it tells me. I exactly. my my as far as my confidence my confidence tends to come from more, I I mean I couldn't I can't really Oddly enough, uh, as self-aware as I like to think that I am, I don't know where exactly my confidence to do comedy really just comes from the fact of, of, of just re- repetition of doing it. Um, I love it. What, um, what motivates I, you to do comedy? I mean, Dave, are you waking up and being like, fucking life is stupid. Like, let's dive no, into I, it. Honestly, honestly, what's funny is I don't, I don't actually, my reason for getting into comedy was more, it was to promote a band. And then all I did was find out that I might've been better. I should have probably started doing comedy sooner. I basically discovered that I had a skill set that was probably more suited to stand up this entire time. The way like Happy Gilmore, the move like finds out that he probably should have been a golfer instead of a what? hockey player. And so I don't rem- get I don't I don't get what you mean like the promoter band. I don't get how you get in a comedy. I had a band, band. again. The, do the, cartwheels the, and somersaults. I don't get that. No, I, I no. My band had a comedic thread in it. Remember, I was telling you earlier. Yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. So I thought if I went into stand-up comedy with this mean Dave character that I've cultivated in music and in performance, if I start doing stand-up. Yeah. 
I can do stand up, win over audiences. And then, hey, you like this? Well, come see my band perform in a in a music environment. Yeah. I was, I thought, my thinking was I was trying to widen the scope of promotion for this band that I thought was great, which I, yeah. I you know, I did. Um, yeah. But unfortunately, that's also drug thinking because I was I was high a lot during that time. I was doing, you know, a lot of a lot more cocaine than an average person who doesn't do cocaine. And um, I want to start a business. <laughs> I wasn't a hardcore cokehead, but I was like, yeah. I was doing enough. I was doing definitely enough to make life unmanageable. Uh, yeah. I had a drinking problem too. I, I smoked weed like a chimney. But to me, those weren't problems at the time because I was living a lifestyle that I'd been living for 20 years at that time, right. close to 20 years. And, and I had amassed a lot of creativity within it. The, the thing that I don't think I really was honest with myself about it was that it was, but, but it also, it came from a scene that was, that, that didn't um, value pursuing it for, uh, for monetary ends. Right. They were more like, they were more like wanted to get high with you, but like didn't want to hear ideas. No, it's not. It's more, I mean, I'm saying more that the, the pursuit of music ultimately I, I wanted to make it a job, but I came from a scene like the bands like here, the Melvins is my favorite band and they turned it into a job and they work it like it's a job, but they love their job. They're not rock stars per se, but they, they play on the rock star mythos so that, you know, everybody kind of, you know, and they've inspired countless bands that have gone on to great success. And their biggest success is the fact that they're still around outliving all of the bands that they've inspired, who've been great successes and they make a living, a comfortable living doing what they do. And that's um, what you want to do. That's my, that was, they inspired me to like, that's my goal in comedy. I wanted to do that in music, but unfortunately I was, I was a recreational drug user to the point, yeah. and to the point that it became a problem. And in the end, I realized I've been an addict the whole time. I just managed my addiction better than most and uh, was in denial about its effects on my character. Yeah. And, so then that's that's the shit that needed to be addressed before anything yeah. came that was good my way. And that yeah. took three years of of failing at comedy jobs and, and other people. I uh, I bet you that was so crazy to go from like fucked up Dave on stage to sober Dave. Like I can't even a, imagine was, what that it was a transition. Like. No, there was a transition because I was bar I was what we I say I was negotiating with my disease. I went eight months without drinking uh, in 2012. Yeah. Uh, I, I had, I mean, I was kind of, I had a somewhat of a girlfriend, but she was more of a best friend at the time. Yeah. And so one, night, <laughs> so one night I filmed myself. Oh yeah. I know a couple of those. Yeah. And I mean, she was, no, she's still a good friend of mine. I don't, I don't talk to her often, but she, um, I filmed myself one night and I was being really rude to her. I was being really mean to her. And, and she never held it against me. Um, but I watched the video the next day and it was embarrassing. And I just remember thinking yeah. like, I drink like this and treat you that way. I can't, I can't be doing that. Trouble yeah. is, is I was making Good other people my higher power. I wasn't, I wasn't, you know, going into a, I wasn't you know doing any kind of program sobriety. Yeah. I wasn't, yeah. I didn't stop drinking because I wouldn't do Coke if I didn't drink, but I yeah. smoked weed and did shrooms like crazy and it wasn't, it, it didn't, um, it, but it, but my comedy did improve during that time. And, yeah. 
And it yeah. was it was because I didn't really start getting making good first impressions until somewhere around the middle of 2011 through 2012. And then I was kind of reaping some of the benefits of it uh, around the beginning of 2013. And that's when I started drinking again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and once I started drinking, I would maintain for a while. Like I wouldn't drink every single day, but the trouble was I was just postponing an inevitable binge. And once yeah. I hit a binge, an incident would happen. And there's would some, you would you perform comedy like blacked out? I only not not really. No, normally, most of my drinking and my drug use would happen uh, when I was off stage, except for weed. I'd smoke weed all day because was I was comedy just, a lot shittier high like on weed. I was dude. The weed didn't even affect the weed. Was really the way I smoked cigars. Uh, it really was. Oh, yeah, I, yeah, okay, high, but. It, it got me high, but I was so used to living my life high that it, it really didn't like I, I didn't think about it. It was more of like ritual than it was really so, being high. And and I enjoyed that, being high. I, I could I was able to perform high, but I don't think I was as sharp because essentially what I learned was that I'm better when I'm in and this is I say this for all comedians. Comedians are better the more that you're in tune. That, that every that's why you know drinking on stage all that i mean maybe if you could have one beer but anything that's that's going to dull your senses in any way is that much more going to going to kind of disconnect you from an audience I can, unless that audience already buys into you as an alcoholic like your ron whites your burke right. Kreischers, you know a lot, of those, a lot of those guys don't even drink it's a facade and like, but no, I wanna, but they did at one point. They did do it at one point. They they I just, later I wanna, developed it because it's not sustainable over time. But David Tell really drank on stage for, but, for a number of years because of insomnia. Like, but like, I want to say something like, and I've been on stage. You probably see me like it's embarrassing to be on stage and slur your words. Like oh, I totally. think no, you slur audiences. Like their audiences are like he's fucking shit fit. It's it's you disgusting. Know? I th- I think it's the worst thing you fucking do on yeah, stage. I, it's I don't want to say it's not. I don't want to say it's like not that bad. All it means is just that you're sloppy, and there's still and more. that's horrible, Dave. If you're trying to be like a no, good I'm not. Community. I'm not. But I've seen people still pull it off, and it's yeah. not. Just, I'm not defending it. I'm saying yeah. it. Then it's up to how good the comic is in turn. And I don't mean like as a good comedian, I mean like how much natural ability do they have? Cause I've seen some shit faced motherfuckers even forget that they've told the same jokes and still get laughs from an audience to the point no. where it's, are you fucking kidding me audience? You just heard that joke and they're drunk and they're telling it again. <laughs> and now they're figuring out that they told it again. And now right. you think it's just funny. Cause it's like, Oh, he's shit. Fa-. Like, it's that's again, comedy's stupid, man. I, I can't, you know, I don't, I, I want to, I want to, you know, I, if I get a high horse on anything in comedy, there's always going to be something that comes around and just fucking donkey kicks that fucker, that fucking stool right out from under me. And now I'm on my ass watching somebody totally break that rule and get massive success. So I don't, I, I can't even sit here and, and claim that anything's this, that, or the other, because there's so much, that proves any notion wrong. The only thing I know about whatever comedy is really like my last set, you know, I'm only as good as my last set and whatever. And, and I, as far as the way I, when I was wasted, it was always after the show. I did 
perform drunk a couple of times and I would only perform on shows that I didn't really respect if I was, if I was drunk and you never and got, you never got like, like sometimes with me, if I've overdone it before a show, it's like, because I'm nervous. You've never got too nervous where you like got fucked up before the show. You're like, Oh my God. You know, you know, what really, I, mean? I know the only time that I performed blackout drunk that I don't remember, but I kind of remember I had flashes of it uh, because I knew what I was doing. Cause people thought that I was like, didn't know what I was doing. I'm like, no, I was doing my mean Dave character and I went too far. <laughs> I went very too far. Uh, you know, like basically, it, uh, it was a, a, a night at Paul Brumbaugh's room in 2013. It was back when I was drinking again. It was a night that I lost my room at, uh, at the, uh, it, I forget the name of the place, uh, the, uh, the Sedini's there was a, I used to run a, a showcase. It was called the, this is not an open mic showcase which essentially was like, I would have people booked, but normally anybody who showed up, I would try to give them a set. Just, I just discouraged from calling it an open mic because everybody treats open mics like shit. It was a fun show. And, um, but one night I, it was this one particular night. It was, I remember it cause Jeff Applebaum was headlining it. Um, I had Victor Pacheco helping me. This is when I was still cool with him. Uh, and he was new <laughs> at the time. And, um, and, uh, I, I just had a breakup and I swore to myself, I can't drink this week because I know I'm hurt. I'm going to yeah. binge my drink. So I'm trying not to drink. And what do I do? Like an idiot. I go hang out at my old bar haunt that I used to live behind, uh, before the show, which is up, up the street from Sedini's is this place called the Mardi Gras. It's no longer there. Um, but I, I hung out there and people were buying me drinks. So next thing you know, I'm doing some shots. I'm doing, I'm drinking some beers and I'm got my buzz on. I then drive up the street, park my car, go to Sedini's. And what put me over was I had an arrogant bastard. They had arrogant bastard on tap. It's oh. my favorite beer. So oh, I yeah, started drinking arrogant bastard. And, and after all the alcohol I previously drank in the afternoon, now it's like six o'clock and I'm drinking my arrogant bastard. And this was the first time that Sedini's had like a pretty big audience because Robert Carroll, who runs that bar, he promoted it at a fundraiser over the weekend that we have comedy every, every Thursday or, or no, it was every Wednesday. And uh, it was like every other Wednesday or some shit, but he, uh, he promoted it. And so people showed up because of that. And now here I am blackout drunk. And now I go into mean Dave shtick blackout style, which it tends to be, it comes off general, like actually mean. And uh, all, my, all my punk rock friends that were there. No which meaningful was, Dave. No meaningful All my punk Dave. rock friends, they were dying laughing at the shit I was saying. Oh, man. I say dying. I don't really remember. They, they told no, I'm me sure they were, oh, dude. That shit was I'm hilarious. Sure you just ended up walking the entire room. And I, I, because I go full commitment with it, right. and, but it's my shtick. And I've had, when I was in the last year of my drinking, I had at least three or four incidents where I was drinking, doing my shtick, and people afterwards, uh, after like when we had a timeout or whatever, they were like, what the fuck are you doing, Dave? You got to leave. Yeah. And I was like, what, why? And they were like, what you, what dude, you're being fucking, you're insane right now. And I'm like, that was a That's my character. And right. no one would get it. And the fact that I'm drunk doesn't help. Right. So did you start that, with me and Dave or did that thing come later on? What do you mean? 
Start like, comedy? Mean Dave was like a thing you started with when you started comedy. Mean Dave like, was I'm the mean character Dave. from my band. Mean Dave was the character from my band that I transitioned into comedy with. So oh, I had the, so yeah, and it was a, it was a character that, but it got out of control trying to do that character in comedy when I realized yeah. I'm like, it's not, it's not working the same. It's like being a prop comic and I'm not, I don't have my prop, which is the band. Right. And then not for that, but I'm getting very frustrated in, in that not working. And then when I would get into, when I would get drunk or get, get into that place where I'm now, yeah. now my subconscious is taking over those yeah. resentments were all coming to the forefront. And now I'm taking out all the shit that I I'm saying my real mind about what I hate about comedy to these motherfuckers faces and to audiences. And I'm, I'm letting everybody, I, I turn into like Scarface in that one not the real Scarface, but Scarface and half baked. When you he's ever like, like you ever have to fight like, people? Fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. You're cool. Fuck you. I turned into that. That's what I was. You doing. ever have to fight people? I uh, I had people want to fight me, but I, uh, oddly enough, I, I I I'm not a violent person. <laughs> I really. I, it's not that I. I mean, I've had got I've gotten dragged into some fights, but I. And now today, I don't even. I are you kidding what, me? Like, I shoulder what, i can't do shit. what like made you realize like i'm being an asshole i need to change not like i'm a, i'm not talking about your life like oh i need to get sober and stuff but like on the comedy life like what made you think like oh shit like i i gotta be mean dave but also like i gotta also get people to like me and still be i, I wasn't funny man i wasn't funny yeah. I knew that I was. But how'd you know that you were funny? Because that's a hard thing. That nobody was laughing, man. I, nobody was laughing. That's why. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, the, 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 I knew in my. No one was the, laughing. Here's the thing, Alex. I'm not. I'm. I don't consider myself a funny person. Okay, but I know. I, but I've made people laugh at me enough to where I, you know, I hate when people say this, but yeah, people throughout my life were like, you ought to do stand-up comedy. I'm like, I don't want, I love stand-up comedy. I don't want to do it. That shit right. belongs because those are a specific type of person. I never right. thought I was one of those people. Just like I never thought I was an addict. I never right. thought right. that I fit it. I, I felt like happy Gilmore who thought of himself as a hockey player and then looked at golfers and like, you know, if I wore those pants, I'd have to kick my own ass. That's how I felt about, I love the world of it, but I, and I was heavily inspired by stand-up comedy throughout my life, but I didn't want to do that shit. I wanted to play guitar. I wanted to be in a band. I wanted to be cool. Do you, uh, think, the, you think stand-up comedy found your sobriety? You, you, yes, you, I absolutely. Yeah. No, I, I credit, I fully credit my pursuit of stand-up for helping me uh, into recovery. It, it totally, because in the end, what happened was, I realized I was learning little by little things that actually um, became very relevant to my recovery. And that was a, I couldn't perform angry on stage. Um, I, and I, I was learning that slowly, mostly through 2011. And if I knew that I was truly angry, which a lot, there's a lot of things that anger people, especially early on in comedy, waiting around all night and not oh, getting I up. I hate that. I hate that's all, the worst time, part about but, comedy. But but it's part of the part of the dues you got to pay. You got to learn how to how to read, read the not just read the room of an audience, but read the room of like, hey, do you think you're likely to get up here? Well, you might have made a wasted trip out here. 
um, nice. learn how to talk to the people, be polite, be friendly and learn how to like hit somebody up and be like, Hey, I just came from like, if I'm going to do an open mic in Modesto and I drove from fucking union city. Yeah. I kind of want to set. Uh, I would hope to get one during a good time, but I'm not going to throw my weight around, but I'll definitely let somebody know like, Hey, we drove from a while just letting, you know, just in, so that we can get up versus people that live two minutes away who are up here all the time. That so like, of- so like, what like okay so say you get a gig in Modesto oh, yeah like what like I'm just curious because I deal with this too like what keeps you going like okay you're sober you're gonna go do this gig like you may get like 30 people at a gig like are you, you get something little out of that okay you get a tag on that what like I'm just curious about like like what what keeps you going like like an open mic isn't going to keep you going, but like that show, is that show going to keep you going? Like that audience, like what what keeps me, what keeps me going are paid gigs, man. I, 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 here's the thing. Even when I was just toiling away at, at open mics, but getting slowly, but getting paid, you know, it didn't matter. What made you a headliner? What made you a headliner? Just getting, just getting better. And somebody booking me to headline. And I wouldn't say getting better overall. It's I made good first impressions on people who booked. You've had this happen where, where I made a good impression on somebody who was booking a a room somewhere and I got hit up. Hey, uh, really liked what you did. Would you be willing to headline this room? Can you headline? And I'm like, yeah, even if I didn't have that much experience or whatever, I will work to make, to do what they're asking of. Yeah. And, I, and yeah, and this was driving all the way to Fresno for a gig that I made 50 bucks headlining, but that was right. fucking 50 bucks. It was worth it. And I think it pretty much covered my gas. I don't know. I don't have all the, the records of all that shit. That was when I was still driving too. But um, so like, so like when you do gigs like that, is that like in the back of your head? Like that is an added thing. Like, it's an added like point to if I get another gig, like I can handle that kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like, no, it's again, it's you're developing confidence, right? Right. Like what I may be confident in at the, at at that point in time was performing to, I performed to, you know, on that particular gig. I don't remember what my exact, my first headlining gigs were bringer shows. And I knew what the score was with that. Okay. But they, you know, they weren't like actual headlining shows. It was just like, I was a person who brought a bunch of people here and now I'm going last after some marathon lineup, you know? And right. Is it, you you know, like, you know, like in AA, like you have the high, like I'm sober. Like everything I do sober is amazing. Like it's kind of no, like comedy yeah, that that's way. Not good. That's that. First off, that's never happens. Even though life, life feels better, but no, not everything you do just because you're sober is amazing. They call something cloud when you find, if you start feeling good early in recovery, but life shows, you know, like in the beginning of comedy, you're like, Oh, every gig is amazing and stuff. And then you start doing gigs. I didn't have that. I didn't have that. I didn't have that experience at all. As a matter of fact, I had, I had an experience that, uh, when I, when I started again, that's where I would start to see, because I, I had sets that I would say were comparable with people who audiences and bookers liked. That's not yeah. to say that I was, I wasn't a savant at it, but yeah. 
there were definitely people that I saw were going to be moving really quick that I started with the guy. There's people that I started with that are working comics. Now, David Borey, he's a, a known entity. Um, he, he's, you know, a headliner of like, you know, some B rooms and stuff. He's the voice of comedy central and paramount plus right now. So whenever you hear an ad on comedy central or paramount plus, that's his voice. Mm-hmm. And he's okay. from Colorado, but he he got his start in comedy out here and cut his teeth out here. Oh no, L.A. and um and he's he's a funny dude, and I used to get along with him. But he's also one of the people that I pissed off online and blocked me. So you know, no, yeah. you know whatever. Uh, I'm blocked by some of the best. Uh, Amy Miller. <laughs> Amy Miller is a is a, 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 a is someone who started the year I started. As a matter of fact, she blocked me over over when she was drunk, uh, pissed off at me, uh, just sort of like. Uh, asking questions about when exactly she started because I thought she started before me and it turned out she started a month a month or two after me and she got she got mad at me questioning it or something um, and she's cool too like I, I don't have anything bad to say about her but um, I'm just I'm just curious about when you find out that confidence like when's that appear it, it, like, it just what I'm saying is it build you you build it it does I I I can only talk about my own experience uh and then i see i see like actual headlining club confidence but the all it is is i did that set i got away with it i did the one that i got booked that was just completely from the guy there yeah you have a good set you might film it and watch it later or something so i still have it i remember when i watch it now it's it's pretty funny it's funnier because it's it's so there's a lot of a lot a lot of early me in it um but so uh, when when you're when you're chilling with your buddies when you're going to movies or something, is it better just to be mean Dave or is it better to think, hey, I could get a bit from going to the movies right now. I could get a I bit from think, hanging I out. Don't, I don't. No, I don't. There's no. There's no like distinction between you know. I don't. I don't. Uh, I don't really. The name itself and the the things that I do with it is really just uh, the branch of to it's like a band. Uh, I, I don't really, I, yeah, I'm a little amped up on stage yeah. these days. Um, but the voice that I have on stage is a lot closer to just my actual personality. But um, when you're, you get, when you're getting coffee with a buddy, are you being like, Oh, this, I could get I a joke from this guy. I don't, I dude. We, we've, I've never, you've hung out with me, man. I yeah. hate thinking those terms. Like I don't, yeah. it's not to say that I can't get, material from something but i'm not i i'm I, not I, looking I, for it i it, it it will find me like the, a moment yeah. will happen there's a lot of weird shit that happens to me and i try talking about it on stage and it won't work and maybe Why I, won't I'm it not, work? you ever think know. about that shit like, know. That, yeah. you gotta ask the audience man and i don't even have the time to you know i can't q a that i don't have time for that i gotta yeah. there's no if something isn't working i don't it takes less time to ditch it and try to find something that does work than it does to sit here. What I do find is that say like something really is like in my brain, it's a, it's a scratch. It's an itch in my brain. And yeah. I'm like, I something here, but I can't quite find it yet. Yeah. I just, I table that shit. All right. Mm-hmm. Leave that be. Don't even, you know, it's, it's kind of a, it's a strange thing. Comics talk about this all the time. Like professional yeah. comic, a bit that isn't working. You just table that shit. And then say you're doing a set somewhere and you might be improvising something or maybe, and it just clicks just like this, this P story. That's exactly what yeah. happened with the, with the ping shit. Yeah. I, this story, 
didn't know that it could bookend with the other P story. And then it dawned on me when I'm closing, telling the story that I'm like, oh, P, that's it. It's just urine. All right. All right. Yeah. I can't pee when people are talking to me. I just call back to that line. And when I say that line early on, it's not a huge punchline. It's a simple throwaway tag that I make sure people hear. But it's just just a little piece in the story. And when I call back to it, it gets a bigger laugh because they're like, if you were paying attention, I gave you an Easter egg that now is a callback. And it's and it is true. I don't like it when people talk to me while I'm pink. So, so you're like you're like fucking chilling at a meeting, drinking coffee, thinking randomly. You're not even planning this. Oh, fuck. This can be something I can add to a story. Like, I, know, I don't know. Here's the thing. That's I, I always feel that's like a hack personality, Alex. I, I think a hack personality is somebody that is always. Yeah, man, maybe this can be a bit, man. Maybe with that, that to me is annoying. Um, I don't, you know, it's, it's in working comics, you know, there's people that I think are genuinely exciting to be around, uh, in general, not comedy or not. Um, and people who have charisma that like, I'm friends with a lot of those in recovery. I'm friends with a lot of those. There's some comedy people that are like that. There are people that are just, and this is a quality that you want in your comedy, even if you're not that personality off stage is you want to develop a a persona that has like a life of the party kind of vibe when you're on stage. Now I'm not a life of the party kind of person. I don't like the irony of doing comedy. I don't like a lot of attention, even though I do a lot of things that generally attract attention, but it's who I am. I feel, you know, I I love you. I love wearing band shirts. I love going to shows. I love playing yeah. in band. That's no longer really a thing with me anymore, but I still love participating in that community because it's what I grew up with. It's what I'm interested in. I genuinely, I, I love that stuff. And it helps give me a window into other stuff. Like just because I like, you know, dark brooding heavy metal bands or whatever, doesn't mean that I can't enjoy some lighthearted shit. And I, I have a window more into that based through the lens of the stuff that I did have a first interest in today. I was listening to Radiohead. I never have listened to Radiohead that much, even though I like their music. I've even seen them live back in the day when creep was out. I got to see them in a club uh, to a packed club. Uh, Cause my so, buddy wanted. So is so, your point, is your point just to be you? Yeah. I mean, I think that's the point of what everybody should, should really be aiming for. And if you, if being you, is does mean being a hack personality always trying to go ahead run with it it's that's i'm not i don't think there's anything wrong i'll just find you annoying maybe it's better it's better to be annoying and hack and be yourself no no, there's no there's no general rule for this alex there's no there's no i because again there's people i think the important thing is to find what works for you this is the same that goes in recovery there are no rules other than, you know, work at, you need, you know, the, the harder you work, the luckier you get, man. You, you need to work at something if you want to be good at it. Yes. Yes. I believe you need that. To, yeah. And you do need to yeah. obviously, you know, take some chances and yes, the dice, you can't just, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to get right. better just being in your comfort, comfort zones. I know this right. from recovery and comedy and, exactly. um, but I think it also, as far as what, you know, it, it's different for everybody because I've yeah. seen different approaches. I, I, 
in both, you know, it, it's, it's not just in comedy and this is in life, man. Yeah. One of my friends who I'm now working on, I have a new podcast that I do called meaningful times with friends. And one of the coolest things about it is these are my old friends from junior high and high school. And they're the funniest people I know. They're, these are people yeah. that are truly, truly say things that make me laugh out loud and they're not trying to be funny. And yeah. And that's, and I'm just the one who went into comedy. I'm the least funniest in my opinion out of the four of these guys. And, uh, but in, in part of the, the, the tricky part in now inviting them to do a podcast with me and trying to develop that is one of them, at least just one of them. He's now kind of hamming it up because he, he does have a vested interest in stand-up comedy. He's not going to do it. He's, you know, he's a married dude with kid and he has a tough job. But he's he kind of lives vicariously a little through me mm-hmm. in doing this comedy thing, like just talking to me and like he writes bits and and, yeah. and whatever. But he um and I always I already told him, I said, you hated the because he we had a band together, too. And I yeah. had the same experience with music where I had a, I played in music and dived into it. And then he kind of was a little bit behind, like, hey, I kind of want to start doing music again. Yeah. And I had to him catch up. Well, in comedy that I'm like, you're way fucking far behind. If you think you're going to do this shit, which he, and I, and I said, you're going to hate the world of comedy even worse than the world of music. If you really want to yeah. do it. And that's just yeah. knowing him, but he's possibly one of the smartest people I know from my, that from my age group and definitely one of the funniest. And, uh, and he was a straight C and D student through wow. high school. Dude here, I'll give you an example. One of his lines. Mm-hmm. I love this still makes me laugh. And he was failing algebra for three freshman year, sophomore year, junior year, failed algebra three years in a row. So senior year, he took pre-algebra. And in the beginning of the class, the teacher goes, all right, class, uh, let's discuss, like, what are some of your goals that you have once you graduate high school? They go around the class and they get to him and he goes, well, my goal is uh, to graduate and go to a four-year college and major in pre-algebra so I can come back and teach pre-algebra. So he's fucking dogging the teacher right then and there. Like, like just a, a flat out smart ass. Like, yeah, I mean, my goal is going, you know, maybe get my, you know, I think he said it's worse than that. He was like, go to a four-year school, get my master's then too, and get my doctorate in pre-algebra so I can come back and, uh, and, and give back. You know, he's just a consummate smart ass. And, and that's just the tip of the iceberg of shit that he used to do. But, um, so like, so, so like a guy like that, yeah, he wants to do comedy. How do you like, he doesn't doesn't want to do comedy. He just, he just, he likes doing fucked up shit. He thought again, like once I talked to him about the stand up comedy world, oh yeah, he's not, he has no interest in doing it. But he has a vested interest in the world of it. He gets a little, you know, inside baseball from me, and uh, and he's seen my gigs and stuff, and and he sees exactly through me. But he also the the coolest thing is, uh, he's one of the hardest people to impress. And like I have those kinds of friends where I'm performing yes for the audience, but I don't care about that much about that audience. My audience are my friends and family. Because they all have a level of taste in stand-up that I respect and and or fed mine. Like my parents, all four of my parents, they enjoy my comedy. And mainly my mom and my stepdad, they raised me on stand-up comedy. So when they but, 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 it, but let me get your I because we've never talked about this. 
Let me get your opinion on, okay, your buddies, your parents. Okay, Eddie Murphy was a big person back in the day. Like, how's your take on, like, comedy now and then and how people perceive it as you're hanging out with people? Because if I'm hanging out with my buddies, it's a different kind of comedy than what I'm doing on stage. Yeah, you know but I mean? you know what? What is everybody trying to mimic right now with all these podcasts, man? They're all trying to. It's dude. It's the same fifty to hundred people. All, like I'm, I'm. I watch a lot of, of of stuff on YouTube. All right, I don't listen to a lot of podcasts. I watch the YouTube shit, but I'm watching the same pool of people just going from each other's podcast. What What are they doing? They're all simulating hanging out. Some have a format. Some might have games in it. Some might have other shit. But in the end, all they're mimicking is hanging out and then they uh, and and they're professionals some of them more than others so they know how to like hang out in a professional capacity and some and also like Marin you know he became a good interviewer and part it's not about being funny it's about having a quality conversation um you, the worst at it is the most popular one right now and that's Joe Rogan and I don't say that he's a terrible podcaster that dude is incredibly smart uh, like guy just in the doing of things. Like he just, he does things that he loves to do and he works at him. Like, I don't, I don't discredit any of that. However, that man has the most indulgent goddamn podcast on the planet. And I, I watch it every now and then he has an incredible gift for taking some of the most interesting people and having conversations with them that sound like the dumbest motherfuckers that I've ever heard. And, and it's just because they're sitting, he's like, yeah, man, you know, you get a barbecue, you know, and, you know, I like to get the, the pieces of meat. They're like, man, I can't stand those conversations around people he's I know. Like, Why do I want to hear famous people talk right. about their fucking barbecues, their, their, their thoughts on, on anything really that isn't like a, a home, you know, it, it, or, and how many times have you heard a discussion about comedy from these guys? It's like, yes, I know that you're a comedian, man. You know, it, it's one of the most, fucking it, it, how, many right, times, man, how many all times right. do you want to hear somebody about their job all right like sitting there like if you had a friend that was a doctor and they're like yeah so i you know that's the thing about surgery man you know you got to get a scalpel and it's got to be sharp and and you know and you can't just like you know whatever so i don't know that's just one that's what I'm I, saying about that. I i totally agree with you and it's one thing <laughs> you don't have to agree i'm just saying no, no, I, I hate podcasts or it's like a podcast. My whole point was like, I wanted to get to the, the bones and be like, how do you separate like hanging out with friends comedy to like on stage comedy? Because I feel like it's a little different because I can say like fag, <laughs> retard, homo. And then I'll hey, go on man, those, hey, those are buzzwords you shouldn't even be saying around your friends, man. <laughs> I, right. no, here's the thing. And it depends on the nature of your friends. All right. And the, the the things that make your friends laugh. Yeah. That's like green room talk. All right. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Yeah. When, when you're, when comics are in a green room, there's a reason why like certain things, you know what Chappelle was doing a lot with all of the trans stuff. Yeah. He was proven to like comedians and all that he could take green room talk and put it on stage. Right. That's essentially right. what he was doing. And he, because right. he's so bored, man, the guy's done everything. Right. And, and been successful at it. So why not try doing the things you're not supposed to do? And yeah. not only that, but do it like five fucking times in specials. And, right. and, and, and you know, <laughs> it, and I'm not, I don't even, I don't salute it at all. I, 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 I got his point early on. And then I was just sort of like, Hey man, 
just fuck a transgender for fuck's sake. And, and, and so tell are you, is your point, is your, is your point like we've heard that, like, I want to do. No, my, my point isn't so much that my point is, is in terms of like what you're asking about hanging out with your friend, when you're hanging out with the friends that you have or whatever, trying to be funny for people, that's people pleasing behavior. But you really, why do your friends hang out with you? You, you hang out because you want to relax. You're right. chilling out. You might, you know, you have a shared experience. You go to the movies, go to a ball game, go do that. No one, and some people more than others, there's some groups of people that, yeah, they hang out and they want to, they, they want to, you know, have quips and think they're so fucking clever. Some people, I like hanging out with people that shut the fuck up. Uh, I love my friends who shut the fuck up. And, 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 <laughs> And then when they speak, it, it, it adds it adds an even more spice to it. But what I'm saying, like, like they don't say things unless they really mean them. They're really feeling them. They're genuine. They, they're not comfortable with silence. Really, yeah. that's kind of the thing. I and, love that. And but I don't have any like. Heart, I'm surprised. I just actually um, there's somebody I can't, I can't really name him out of uh, principle of anonymity. But there was somebody who was kind <laughs> of uh, who was no. There was somebody who was new to comedy who was was interacting a lot of my posts before I met him and was chatting with me a little bit. And they clearly were trying to be funny, trying hard to be funny. And that's one of my pet peeves. I was just sort of like, Hey man, you can not try to turn everything into a joke. You can just talk to a normal person. And, um, and he wouldn't stop. So then I'm starting to say mean things back to get him to stop. Mm. And, um, and then and then he, he basically came forth and said, Hey man, uh, I, I know you're in recovery. Um, I've actually been trying to get recovery and, um, I, I haven't been that successful at it, but I really want to try to give it a good go. And I have a feeling that you might be a good sponsor fit for me. Mm-hmm. And in my, in the recovery world, you know, based on, you know, especially with my, my, uh, experience in it, someone asks you, uh, yeah, you, you say yes until you feel it doesn't work. Or until they stop, you know, coming to you. So his now jokes, I'm, his jokes were bombing so bad. He's like, "Hey, I like." No, it recovery. wasn't. No, it was. That's again. <laughs> you're trying to make a joke out of it, Alex, and it's and that's bombing. But um, <laughs> but no. And, but my point being, he ended up. He he ended up. It was he was trying to ingratiate himself to me because he had. I wouldn't call it an agenda, but it was it was an agenda of this guy knows recovery. He works in the comedy world. He's kind of doing what I want to be doing on, on a couple different levels. I I'll just be up front and tell him. And he did. And I'm his sponsor right now. And we're working on his recovery yeah. and comedy is, you know, another is a, is a lower priority, but the, you know, I'm trying to help him get what I, I'm trying to do what we say in recovery. Keep you, keep what you have by giving it away. I've had sponsees in the past and I haven't had the, uh, it's not a reflection on me. It's, it's it, but it's I've, none of my sponsors. This is something, another comic, Sean Sinha, a good friend of mine. I love this guy. Uh, he asked me one time, he goes, do you have any sponsees? And I go, yeah, I did. I said, all my sponsees though, have either disappeared, relapsed, and then one even died. And he oh, goes, Jesus, geez. man, try not to sponsor anybody else. <laughs> and i i could i tell that sometimes in my shares when i talk about uh i'm always willing to sponsor but in a way sponsorship is kind of like a weird uh popularity contest in recovery because somebody you know it's like i want you to be my sponsor 
I've offered people before, like trying to be more, more uh, outgoing about it. And they'll just be like, um, actually, uh, you know, it's like being rejected at the junior high dance, man. I'm like, I'm like, motherfucker, I don't want to be a sponsor, but I know it's part of the program. You clearly need yeah. one motherfucker. And now you're going to tell me no, man, fuck <laughs> you. you know, that kind of shit. I hope you relapse, you know, and I'm not, that's not what I'm saying at all, but that's the feeling yeah. that you'll get. Um, so I ended up, I, I basically was like, you know what, I'm just going to be willing and my higher power, you know, provide, presents me with somebody that needs a sponsor. And if, if anybody asks me, thinks that I would be a good sponsor, I'm willing. I totally would willing. And that, and that came in the form of a guy who was annoying me at first, not terribly, but just, you know, annoying enough, but then learning that there was a deeper problem. And then it's like, Oh, and then I met him and we hung out today actually for the first time in person and he's a cool dude, but he's going through it and I'm trying to be there to help. So, so are you focusing more on his recovery than his comedy? Cause like, uh, it's not me. He has to, that's up. Right. And it's not right. focusing. It's, in order for, for, and this is something that's said in the, in this is recovery talk here. So prepare Talk's yourself. Me. I know it. I know it. Tell me. But no, but the, the, in recovery, uh, mm -hmm. put your, if you put your recovery first, everything falls into place somehow. The moment you start putting anything ahead of your recovery, those are the first things you tend to lose, uh, yeah. as soon as you relapse. What, what made you, I'm sure there's a huge story, but what, what was the ultimatum about you being in recovery? It doesn't have to be like, don't it was the cops, the man. It was the cops. I got arrested a second time uh, for a DUI, man. Pretty if simple. that didn't happen, would you still be out there? Uh, could very well. I, well, I think eventually something would have happened that led to the law. Here's the thing. It, it could have wound up based on the way I was behaving. And, and it wasn't like it was, it was just like, I already had enough instances where something bad was going to happen. I even had a feeling something bad was going to happen. Oh, shit. Okay. Still, my disease was so cunning, baffling, powerful. I would still right, put myself right. in situations that put me in danger. The way that I was going, I'm lucky that I didn't kill anybody with my car. That I didn't kill myself with my car. That I didn't permanently injure anybody with my car. When right. I got that, I saw the cop lights behind me and I knew that I was driving home drunk. I was like, oh, my God, this is right. I can't believe how stupid I am right. because I knowingly did. So I that night, my last night uh, drinking, I, I tried smoking weed two more days before my first meeting. And those were just and they were the worst, you know, bowls right. I smoked. The last night of my actual drinking was. Uh, September 26, 2013, and I drank into the early morning of, 2000, or of September 27. Were you doing I, comedy? I did comedy that night, and I had oh. only two beers throughout the night. It was at my old room, Sanctuary Ultra Lounge in Livermore. Oh. I only had two beers throughout the night over the course of three hours. So I was good legally to go home. Oh. However, I got in my car, and I thought to myself, I don't want to go home right now. I kind of want to... I went on a little bit. I feel like going and drinking alone. Right. So I went to, I went to a nearby bar that, uh, they actually have an open mic at the bar. I went to now, uh, it's the good times tavern. It's nothing against oh, yeah. them. Fun place. Yeah. So yeah. I went, I went over to the good times tavern mm -hmm. and, uh, and I knew the owner then, I don't know if it's the same owner, uh, now, but I think his name was, Probably so, not. Probably not. um, cause I met him, uh, I met him. He was friends with Ben Kalina cause Ben Kalina is from Livermore and he, he knew the guy. So I met him there. And, um, so yeah, and he was totally cool to me, uh, but I, I, 
And I drank Jaeger bombs and beers until close. And I thought I was just going to go pass out in my car. And mm. instead, thanks to the Red Bull, all the Red Bull I had, I was still awake. And I thought I could make it home. And um, and oddly enough, when as soon as those cop lights went on, it was the best case scenario of a worst case scenario because I reached the point of just ultimate embarrassing level of stupidity within Man. because this was so avoidable. And I had so many instances leading up to that point telling me that I need to stop. And I wasn't, I wasn't at a point of full surrender and I wasn't at a point of realizing that I need help. I can't do this alone. Man. And I'd been trying to do it on my own and it wasn't working and everything was just worse. So this was once I, I had 48 hours to kind of sit on it with, with all my guilt and figure it out. And I, I talked to my folks cause they were about to kick me out of their house. And, um, and I said, I think I need to go to a, a meeting. Uh, I'm going to go to an NA meeting. Uh, I, I went to NA first cause I wanted to be free of all substances and AA, even though they say they focus on alcohol, they taught, you know, it's, it's to get clearing of all things, but you can still, there's people I know who, and I have nothing against them. There's people I know who still, you know, California sober, they smoke weed, right. but do an AA program. And I have no how, problem with that. But like how long that, cause like I see you on stage and to me, you're like confident as fuck. And like to hear you like in a program and like deal with shit, it blows my mind away because I don't see that person on stage. Like, did you see like a jump from like you getting recovery for a little bit? Like, did you see like, Oh fuck, if I'm sober, like I could be way better at this. Did, was, I already had my set. I, I, it, here's the thing. I already saw that potential when I was still drinking and, and getting high. Mm -hmm. The, the, but the, the thing is when you go into recovery, I didn't get mm -hmm. into recovery specifically to get better at comedy. I got into recovery because it was drugs and alcohol were ruining my life. Right. And no, that, I know. That, I know. I get that. I get that. So that, that being the main point of, of again, the full surrender thing, I literally told my, I, I didn't, I said, I don't care about comedy right now. I'll figure that out. If it's even meant to be in the cards, I considered it may be something I have to quit. If it's something that's contributing to my ability to, to maintain sobriety, but I didn't know that until after I started going to meetings and once, and the thing is I still had gigs booked and I'm going to honor those gigs, but I don't know. And they were, you know, only if they were paid gigs, I was doing 90 meetings in 90 days, more than that. Actually, I was, I worked this program. The thing is I, I, from that arrest wow. and those eight hours leading up to my discussion with my folks and my first meeting, mm. that's still in my head. And, and they, they say, if you don't remember your last, you know, your last few hours of drinking before and, and were using before you went to your first meeting, right. you, you got another relapse in you. I remember it uh, right. so vividly because it was, I, I've also relapsed plenty of times when I was trying to stop on my own. So I have all the relapse guilt figured out. Well, I get, I, 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 get, I get that. And like, I've been there to myself, but like, what, like, Relapsing with if I relapse with with recovery in my head, that's gonna be even worse. That's that's it's gonna be a waste of drugs and alcohol, as far as I'm concerned. I'm not even gonna have any fun. You know, I get that, but like, I guess like when I'm kind of tying together with this whole podcast and just talking to you, like, yeah, I don't like, especially as someone that hasn't been doing it as long as you, like, 
I think sometimes I get discouraged. Like, I don't know what I was thinking. Like uh, the dream of being a comedian is so far out there. Like all these guys are doing this and that, like when you're clean and sober, I feel like sometimes you're like, you think things clearer and like, did you ever think like comedy stupid when you got like clean and sober? Or did you think like better? Yeah, like I, this is I, here's I the thing. I love standup comedy as, as the medium that it is. I love it. Yeah. it the people that do it well enough that it's like kind of an art form. I don't consider it an art form. I think there's an art to it, just like sports and anything else. But it's like, I, I but it's not like music or painting where you can like, you know, it, it you, you can't, you can only be abstract so much, but if, yeah. if nobody's happened, nobody gives a fuck. Um, and right, right, and right, so it, it, it has a desired result in the end. Um, and, and there's an, there can be an art to it who, who do it well, but that's another level. As far as, uh, what happened was my priorities shifted to where what became more important to me was getting another day without drinking, without using. And that's as simple over everything, over everything, over everything. That's as simple yeah. as I, I boiled it down okay. to. And so, and I, I've talked about, are you this still writing show. jokes when you're in that mind frame? Yeah. Are you, are you kidding me? Uh, dude, I wrote, I was my whole fucking last arrest is a joke. <laughs> but I was you have you you have this pick I, I, this is again where differently Alex where I think a lot of times you're very like linear minded where it's like you're either in writing mode or you're in living mode no you can right, be doing right, right. both at the same time man yeah. and it's just a matter of what inspires you and how do you go about your creative process some people are more formal about it and writing in their notebooks some yeah. people I live my life and things filter through me. And if they stick in my head, I might want to talk about it. I might want to figure out some punchlines to it. Mm -hmm. uh, if something bothers me, I know I probably need to talk about that on stage and figure out the punchlines to that. Cause that's where therapy it, comedy can kind of be therapeutic. Well, well, like, but it, how do you get that solution in the end? You got me have some other work to do, but, but I'm saying, but, but that's my question. Like I struggle with that. Like, how do I not sound so much like a nutcase on stage and sound more funny? Like you don't sound like a nutcase, Alex. I've never found you to be a nutcase. Here's the thing, man. If you really, as far as you, you that I've seen, I've seen you because you know I know that I, I know that this exists in you. Where where I've seen you in the middle of your set questioning yourself. Yeah, uh, totally, and, totally. And yeah, that shit. You need to table that shit. What I'm saying, there's there's nothing wrong with you can be yourself while also like being it's, someone it's, else, being well, someone else. It's multitasking. No, it's just multitasking. It's like mm -hmm. uh, I want to say like like act as if, act like, as if. like you know, like be like a good actor. Be a like good actor. Said, well, like you just say about me, like and I've noticed about sometimes I'll be on stage and I'll question what I'm about to say. Like, are you just saying just say it? I don't. I, I mean, maybe, I, I mean, I, I don't know yeah. these specific moments. Like I said, the, I think part of what you, this is really who you are is this second guesser. You second guess yourself a lot. Like right. I've seen you have a good set and you come off stage and you're like, was that any good? And I'm like, yeah, right. motherfucker, you got laughs. It worked. You made it to the end. You didn't right. bomb. Made cool. it to the end. <laughs> um, but I've also seen you kind of do okay. Not maybe not great. And you felt great. <laughs> Yeah. So I don't know. I I can't tell you. I don't. 
I don't, I don't, I'm not, you know, I'm not your comedy coach. I'm not whatever. Right. I, I also, I, I respect you. I've, I've known you. We've done shows together. Um, and I've always known you to be kind of, yes, yeah, the ultimate second guesser. So if anything, maybe you need to kind of turn some of these jokes into second guesses to kind of mimic how you really think the yeah. fact that you really, you really, because that there's a lot of, there's something there to be mined for humor. Maybe, maybe mind that always, second guessing. People are always second guessing themselves everywhere right. they go. And right. I've always felt like you kind of, you, I don't know what your comic voice is per se. This is how I've described you. And this is going to sound like a real insult. God hope, help me if he ever watches this. I've, I've seen you as the more focused Robert Keith. <laughs> Because Robert Keith, uh, we both know him, beloved friend. God bless him. He's good. He's back in recovery and stuff. And and I I truly I love that guy, the person, the comedian. I hope for the best. Um, but you know, we've I've seen him because I first met him when he was on drugs and he was doing great at on his set. Not saying his comedy was like you know top notch pro shit, but he was. I was I was on a show with him at Casting Nolas in San Francisco. That's where I met him. And he had a set that made all 13 people laugh, it seemed. Uh, I went up there and kind of ate my balls half the time, and I ran the light. And he was giving me shit for running the light afterwards. And the next time I saw him was after he got out of jail, <laughs> like years later. Um, and But I've met you through, you know, seeing you at Mike's and stuff and kind of being, you know, Concord related. Because, yeah, I've been running Viddies now for nearly 10 years. Um, but in seeing you... I know that you're focused in doing this and you, for somebody who's been doing this as, as much as you, I've seen also that, you know, you've been booked by, by some good shows and I've seen you get booked on some shows that are probably like, you know, not the top level stuff, but you're headlining them. And I know that somebody thought you were funny and booked you to headline. And then I've seen somebody see those flyers and book you for their shows and get to know you through that. And I've seen you, I've seen you be able to do that and you didn't like fuck it up. You know, it's like, you might have had a bad set here and there. Yeah. But, and I know that that, because I've seen this with you and this is something to keep, this is my only advice. I would say performance wise is don't, don't show the audience your ass, man. When, if you're having a, if you're having, say like you're having a, a pretty good set, your first three minutes, man, and a joke doesn't work so well, you don't need to let the audience know that like, oh, wow, you win that round audience. No, right. move on. Right. Don't, don't pretend like you, maybe that wasn't even the punchline or something. I don't know. Right. What I'm saying is you don't need to, you don't need to express verbally every thought and every emotion that you have that is going on internally. Right. On that, stage. That is inspired by any insecurity around your set. Don't do I, that. I, I like, I value that advice. And like, I've seen that, like, I think one I've seen problem you perform confidently, man, I've seen you perform confidently and I've seen it. I've seen those windows into like, Oh, you're getting a little, little in your head. Now you're getting a little in your head now. But I'm saying the more that you the more that you can just table like you can hear your own head, but you're in your act, man. And in being in the act means being in the moment, not in your head, means being with the people. And what I found is that the more that you and this is from watching other good comics too, like the ones that like, you know, whether they're crowd workers, whether they're material based or whatever, you're looking the audience in the eye 
and you're trying to get you, you know, and yeah, you, and yeah, when you do that, it's scary because you might run into that motherfucker that ain't laughing right. and a sea of people that are laughing, but you don't need to focus on those motherfuckers, man. You focus on the on the people that are laughing. You might even be able to charm that motherfucker who isn't laughing and be like, all right, this might be, you know, and but as long as your heart's in the right place and you're trying to get people laughing, that's that's the bottom line, man. Is that and, how you? Is that how you bring? Is that how you bring your confidence? Is that how you get your confidence? Because believe so. it or I, not, I I, I struggle with that. Like you said, I struggle with yeah, that. No, that's, I I, yeah, head. I think the, the confidence comes from the. the I mean, I, again, I don't know exactly, but I need my I need my heart in the right place, and I need to. I, what I end up doing. Because again, this was my only rule when I would go on stage mad, resentful, any of that. And I'm not in there with my heart in the right place to try and channel that into humor. If I'm mm-hmm. just up there with like, man, fuck this, fuck that, fuck you and all that. Yeah. Doesn't work. When I'm that person off stage, sometimes people find that funny. All right. But I'm not yeah. trying to be funny and it doesn't yeah. work. I don't have a persona that translates to being on stage doing that shit. Now I can express some of my 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 angst some of my resentment some of that but i have to do it in a charming backhanded manner because when i do that and 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 it tends to be a little more highbrow a lot of the times sometimes people miss it but it tends to to get the smartest people in the room and that those are the jokes that that i i i love when when uh when i'm doing something that I feel like, wow, this is a, like one of my favorite jokes I've, I've gotten to do was one that it was something that bothered me and I still do it. Um, and it's a risky joke, but it's, I love it. It's the one about the advertising at BART uh, trying to curb suicide. And because it, to me, it's a bad taste. Uh, it, it's just bad taste in advertising. Like I, you know, I get advertising is such a scummy world of, of right. you know, trying to, win people over through billboards, through, through ads on, you know, audio and all that shit. Right. It, it, you know, it's, it's, it's lame. However, uh, when it comes to the, the nature of suicide, yeah, I know that we need, we need, you know, I don't know how much ever a commercial has ever helped a motherfucker. All right. I grew up right. in the eighties, man. <laughs> they were telling us not to do drugs. You know what we did? We did drugs. Right. right. Uh, you know, and, and as far as like, you know, the campaigns that I remember you used to see when they were trying to be more sensitive to gay kids, like it gets better. I'm like, I remember one, my, one of my best friends, he's a member of the, the meaningful times with friends. He's a gay dude came out in the nineties when it was very scary. Oh, we actually yes, had this discussion yes. on our our, our podcast is about to come out and and being gay it's like yeah i know people try to make it sound like oh they're girly men and all this kind of stuff you had to be fucking tough because you you it right. was dangerous well right? now now you get it now you're dealing with age, but you're also dealing with motherfuckers that want to gay bash they're not stuff right. and it still exists today but the vast right. majority of people even the even the bigots are not that bothered as they used to be because there's still big out there and you got to be careful, but right. a lot more people who are, who are inclusive, tolerant, all that shit. They try to label it woke. No, it's just being a compassionate fucking human being. All right. And yeah, things have gotten a little bit more, more I want to say extreme, but they've changed now that we also have trans transgenders in the mix now. <laughs> and, you know, we used to call them transsexuals. We used to call them, you know, chicks with transvestites, transvestites. It's, but it's changed now. And it's it's transgender and the language is right. changed and the attitudes are changing. 
And yeah, it's probably so in the Dave, interest. Dave, well, off of that, I'm just curious. How do you transition with your comedy with that? How do you go from a guy growing up in the fucking 90s and 80s joking with your friends to now dealing with people on stage? You don't want to offend people. How do you deal with that? I don't I'm not I'm not that scared of offending people. I never have been. I, I'm more what I'm more what I'm very what I, I, I actually say this in my act. I said it just makes uh, comics have to work harder and smarter to find new and innovative ways to, to offend you without you realizing it. Right, um, right, it that's a right. joke. But it's the point. Right. The attitude is you can still say what you want to say, but you have to think about it and back it up. I think a lot people of people are clever are, about it. I don't even know. It's not even so much being clever about it is. Do you mean what you say? Will you stand behind what you're saying in your jokes? And meaning that, like, if it is just a joke for joke's sake, okay, then like, so you're going to back it up with that type of shallow emptiness. Okay, cool. Like the word retard. Would you use the word retard? No, I don't. And the reason why I don't, it's not, it's, I don't, I don't use it in day-to-day speech. I choose not to. I even will might speak up about it because I've become um, more, I'm I'm part of the disability community because people in recovery addicts and alcoholics in recovery are covered under the Americans with Disabilities Act uh, as a mental illness. And as such, I work with the comedians with disabilities. <laughs> Act. I work with uh, people with disabilities. I do shows with them. I'm, and it's not because of that. It's because my level of awareness has been raised to a point where people do not want to use that word, not just in that community, but kind of in general it's one of those words i don't use that word i don't use the gay slur anymore the only slur that i use that people still let us hold on to but it's not like it hasn't gotten the full-on canceled word is cocksucker i love cocksucker i right? love that's, cocksucker. that's a great that's but a like, great word and it hasn't, but like it hasn't been like homophobic all right you know but um, but dave like how do you go from like say okay let's just say you're a person that's not working on that stuff and you use it with your friends and you, bring it, you bring it to stage. It, does it, does it affect that person? Should a comedian look at what they should be saying on stage or should they be yeah, themselves? I think, I think comedian, comedians should always be looking at what they're saying on stage. It just, it depends on what they want to say. And yeah. if, it, if it's funny and if it does, if, if it it's does, funny, I think that's the key. If it does, as they say, punch down or any of that shit or whatever, <laughs> Are you willing to, are you willing to, as I hate this phrase, but the kids all say, are you willing to die on that hill? Um, It's, it's just a matter of, you know, because there are people, here's the thing. I was, I would, you know, uh, Nina G hates that word. All right. I work with her a lot. We saw big J Okerson. Right. Big J Okerson is a hilarious dude. No, right. And yet he he will still use some of those words that she's not mm-hmm. a fan of. Right. And it's not that he gets a pass or whatever. It's just also Nina, you know, in that kind of moment, it's like she enjoys good comedy. And if ever she had that window of opportunity to speak with that dude one on one on. I get that. Yeah, maybe yeah it'll I get come that. Up. But that's I, not. Yeah, you're right. It's experience. You know that we grew up. We grew up in the 80s and 90s where. We heard speech. I'm I'm Mexican, Guatemalan, oh, British. Bro, you so know I what's heard, up. 
I've been called names. I've been called all kinds of names that I'm not. And I've, I've heard slurs. Oh, I want to know what you've been called. <laughs> uh, you know, all the, the beaner, wetback, you know, fucking all that. Shit, you know, uh, and all the, you know, it was it gay slurs because I was friends. With oh, people. yeah. That was the all football that, coach. Man. And it's not like I'm so not gay either, man. It's like, no, right. man, I'm fucking, you know, it's, as far as my, I'm not the most machoist man. Okay. It's not, it's, it's, and I don't, I'm not, <coughs> but I grew up in the 80s and 90s where, yeah, it was, you were more comfortable with intolerance, I want to say. And what's funny is today, people are so intolerant of intolerance that they almost become just as bad as the things. It's like, you're not supposed to fight hate with hate. You're supposed to fight hate with love. Right. And, compassion. and that means even having compassion for the ugliest parts of our, of our, of the human condition. And that's, that's the only way that you kind of like get through this shit is some level of compassion for the ugliest. You- Dave, you nailed it. You nailed what, it. That to me is what comedy tries to address. If you want to take things to a dark place, it's because you want, and that's what Mark Maron's very good at. And that's what there's other comics that are great at. Bill Hicks was great at that. But we have this current generation too that I want to say, that, and I saw this even when I started in comedy, that there was this throwback to like 50s mentality where like you had to you had to write corny ass jokes, puns, fucking lame shit. And then there's these, there's a whole generation of people that think they're talking about dating and the airlines. Like they're the ones who fucking invented and racism. Racism has been more brought up in comedy than I think that, that it's so, it's been so over talked about. It's, it's like the same thing with all the, all the legislation dealing with the children. And, you know, it's like this overemphasis on shit because these are not that interesting people who haven't had that much experience and they need something to talk about. So they want to take their identity and fight. Like I'm, I was, I was, I was I, Mexican. I'm Guatemalan. I'm British, but my experience is just inherently American. Yeah, I've had experiences with all this kind of shit. Because somebody asked me years ago about why I don't talk that much about being Mexican on stage, and I said because it's just part of who I am. But it's not. It's it's not like this part of. And I a part of my identity to exploit unless it's relevant to something that's, you know, I'm talking about or happened to me or whatever. And then I made a joke that became a joke that I don't even tell anymore. And it's a little too, it, it rubs people the wrong way, but it's a, it's a joke about how I saw comics exploiting, talking about racism without anything to say, just to have an act. And I said, well, I don't like bringing up racism on stage. Cause I just feel like I'm beating a dead Rodney King. And I said that <laughs> to black comics. This was in a car with black comics. They're laughing. I'm saying this to kind of like be mean Dave to them. This is, this was an incident. This was a case where I was kind of using the persona shtick because they were having a hacky conversation and I was trying to like give them a little jab, but they all laughed. And then they all said, they all said the same thing. They're like, you need to say that on stage. And I said, why? So I can get my ass kicked and you guys can laugh at me more. And what's right. funny is I ended up turning it into a bit that illustrated, <laughs> I, I, I turned it into a bit that was trying to illustrate my point. But the right. trouble is, it's, it's such a, a, a point and it's, it, it requires in, an intellectual audience. And I also require it, I kind of need black folks to be right. in that audience and not just one. I don't right. want an audience. Couple. People looking at them to, see, to make, put pressure on them. It's like, I need a fair bounce. I've done this joke to black mm. rooms. 
And you know what I've done? I've had good responses and I've had confused responses. Right. But the times where it's most dangerous is when I'm performing it to a mostly non-black audience. And there may be like one or two black, it's usually dudes. Um, <laughs> and they will hear the wrong thing in the joke that I'm, they're thinking that I'm talking shit about Rodney King. Right. They think that I'm, um, I'm being disrespectful and racist. Right. And I'm like, I don't think you understand, like this joke isn't racist. This joke is making a joke about, people who use racism as exploitively for comedy's sake. And right. those, those I, I say it the whole point, but in the age of Trump, he, the, we've dumbed shit down to a certain level where it is, it, it, it hurts. It risks hurting too much to tell that joke. So this is actually addressing your other point about, you know, words that you used to use on stage. This was a bit that I, and I do tell this joke now as a cautionary tale and it does get laughs but I have to you. I have to be very responsible with it because I'm careful with my words and I'm careful with my intentions. And I don't want. I'm not trying to be to be indulgent and saying like just because I'm some no name comedian, I have the right to say whatever the fuck I want. No, I have a job, especially if I'm being paid. If I if I'm being paid, my job is to entertain this audience. And yeah, maybe some of my jokes might make you think a little or whatever. But the bottom line. I'm supposed to entertain you motherfuckers. And this is something Nina G said about me. She can always tell how much I'm being paid based on my performance. <laughs> because oh my if God, I'm, paid, I can relate I'm not to being that. paid much or if it's for tips or whatever. Yeah. I might roll the dice a little more. Yeah. I might be a little more indulgent. Well, yeah, let me take some more chances and do some shit. Let so. me ask you a question because you, you've been in the game a little bit and you've probably seen this. Do you notice, because I've noticed this with myself, I'm funnier when I just talk about day-to-day things than try to be, like, controversial or try to go hard in the paint with, like, a race-based joke or something. It's you know not, what I mean? Like, well, here's, 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 again, we're coming back to what, what it is. It's, you're, you're kind of trying to draw hardline guidelines, and there are none. It's right. not that you're funnier. You're funnier again, so long as what you, I feel you're talking about comes from a genuine place, man. Okay. Now you and you might have a gen like again. My that bit that I told came from a genuine place that was right, right, really right, trying right. to both provoke and make my friends laugh through that you know kind of punch to the balls type of humor we have with right. each other's comics. Right. It was literally green room talk in the car, and okay. then he said I needed to say that on stage. These are black comics too. And you did it right away. Did you do it right away? I no. I I, and not only that, we had a good barometer of of a black audience at a place called Dorsey's Locker back then. Oh yeah, Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you remember that? Yeah, it was wonderful open mic. I love that place. Tommy T's. Tommy, I could see you kill it, Tommy Tommy T's. No, I. I, Here's the thing, Tommy T's. I don't. I'm not at Tommy T's enough to where I I I have like more of a like I I love performing when I get to perform there, but I also you know clubs. It's I have nothing against the like the staff there or the comics who work right. there i don't work there based on my knowledge of their history of how they treat you know uh local comics there pay wise and all that. right right, so, right, right. and I, i'm not gonna i'm not you know it's and i have nothing against them that's the way they want to do stuff it's fine um but if someone books a show and they want me on it and they're paying me yeah i'll be there and it's not because you- of much you know, I, I, I just, now I'm at a point where, yeah, I have to take into consideration what I'm doing and, um, you know, I'll still do a show, you know, for very low pay or whatever. I'm not above that. 
Um, rarely will I do a show for nothing because it right. is, it, it is technically my job. I've been paying taxes on it for the last fucking six years. <laughs> so, um, well, Libby, can I ask you a question? Because we are yeah. kind of running out of time. Yeah, man. Um, I, I'm, I'm fascinated by you, believe it or not. Like, are you, when you do a, when you do a show, are you changing your fucking set for that show? Or are you just being fucking mean Dave? Are you looking at the show like, oh, well, I'm doing a so being mean thing. Dave thing. <laughs> you keep describing. I'm, I, there's, <laughs> I can't, I always feel like, I don't know who this person is. You think that I am, man, Alex, I'm the same motherfucker that, you know, hosts at Woodham's or not Woodham's hosts at fucking, uh, at, at, at Vinny's, right? That you're you're always timid and scared to do a set. At. I am. I am. I, am. I gotta cancel like, my yeah, back. Alex, yeah. you, you get that audience, man. You it won't be that. You know, and not only that, if you if there's three people there and you don't make them laugh, it's not exactly a complete bomb. There's three people there. All right, it's really you're performing more to the emptiness of the room. But yeah, you do want to make three people laugh. Okay, I get it, uh, yeah. or at least mine. Um, but the no, as far as my set, I don't, I don't, a lot of, like, I have an act that I cultivate that kind of evolves in with my time. I rotate jokes in and out. I don't get too in my head about it, but it is like a. Why, wait, a wait, wait, wait. Pause right there. Pause right there, man, Dave. Why yeah. do you not get too in your head about it? Because I don't know how I'm, again, I come from music and in music uh, there's a there's a, a rule that i learned from uh james jamerson he was a famous not even that famous but he was uh, a bass player who's played on more r&b hits than you'll ever know that you've never heard of he he was part of the uh uh um uh call it he was part of motown i forget what they called the 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 band he's in a documentary uh, uh that's that's an awesome documentary and i'm drawing a blank on the name of it, but it's about okay. Motown and he's one of the funk brothers. He's part of the okay. funk brothers okay. and he's no longer with us, but he was a okay. dynamic bass player who changed the way basses were played uh, just through his playing. And he taught his son, he told, he would tell his son something about playing bass. And he said, okay. if you don't feel it, don't play it. Okay. Meaning that if you, you know, you play what you feel. Okay. So that's you feel that with comedy. That's something that I apply to my my act. I do my best to because the more that I'm feeling like I don't know what I'm feeling with every set. Some set I want to I want to do my Beauty and the Beast joke. Some set I might want to, you know, feel more more these new jokes or whatever. And sometimes I'm wrong, too. But but the more that I'm playing what I'm feeling, the more that I I'm enjoying myself and I feel like the audience will connect with that part of me, regardless of how it goes, but it tends to work better. And there's times where I know, you know what, I need to kind of phone, not phone it in, but I need to do my set act because if I'm doing a clean show, it's not mm -hmm. to say that I got to stay within the parameters or whatever, but it's like, I have to be a little more formal. So I'm going to want to do more of the, the, these jokes that I know are like more, less risk of me cussing, less risk you, of me getting something out of pocket. Have um, you ever done a clean show where um, it didn't go like your way where you thought like I you were clean, but you weren't and they fired you or something. 
Not fired me. I've, no, I've, I've, I've had good results with it, but actually I just posted about a memory of this comic, uh, David Liu, who just passed away. Um, uh-huh. You know, rest in peace. Really cool dude. He was at a, uh, a weird competition I did that I didn't know was supposed to be clean. And I didn't, uh-huh. I didn't even cuss though, but my uh-huh. set was so, in, I was, I was intense in that kind of uh, resentful zone. The owners swore <laughs> up and down that I cussed. And I said, and I was like, I didn't cuss during that set. Even the other comics saw me. They didn't, they knew I didn't cuss, but I said some fucked up shit. It yeah. just didn't involve cuss words. And the lady, the owner, I was supposed to get a free hot dog too. I didn't even get my free hot dog and I lost. Uh, so I was, I was pretty, pretty pissed. I left, I left there and I was mad at the promoter too, because he didn't tell us it was supposed to be clean. I would have. I might have adjusted my material. I don't know. This is again still in my drinking days, so I might have. I might have been. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So um, just a couple more things. Yeah. Um, what would you recommend a new comic to do when going on stage? Prepare. Um, that's something that I'm. I've never was very good at. But what do, do you mean best- prepare? What do you mean prepare? Because you're brand new. When you're brand new, you you can never be over-prepared because you don't know how it's going to go in those early sets. You don't know what your process is yet. And I, how many times I, I can't count how many times I've seen motherfuckers who think that like, yeah, I want to do this comedy thing. And they get up there and then they're just fucking deer in headlights. And they're like, yeah, what do I, what, what should I talk about? I'm like, motherfucker, you should have had that game plan going in. All right. Because you're up there. Why waste our fucking time with you, with your loading screen mentally being expressed when it's like no you 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 want to go up there the more prepared you are the better off those early sets are going to go and you're already starting to grow that confidence that you desperately need in order to make your sets good and And you realize and you and you realize how valuable the time is yeah, you know and then you're, showing respect, you're showing respect to the people right. there, whether they're right. just comics or whether they're they're audience members. People, yeah. the, the people that I've seen excel and do better quicker are super prepared, and I'm not a good example of that. I'm I'm more I I put in more time figuring shit out the hard way, but I'm saying that the people that that I I witnessed who. You know, right now there's some really good comics that are that are uh, newer that I've I've seen that that really they they work at this and they and they're also you know pretty cool people. Uh, Devontre Coleman, he's a new comic. He's out in San Francisco. Dude, yeah. dude has a presence and and delivery and all that of somebody who has seems like I thought he was already I thought he was in comedy. I just missed him for like three or four years, and he was only let, he's now over a year into it. But he's got a, a, an ability like of somebody. He's doing better than people I've seen at three or four years. What, and then, um, what's what's something people shouldn't do? What's what's some um, if you're newer I, to comedy or I, even, I even really, me five years? I want to know what you shouldn't do is you shouldn't uh, dismiss. Uh, you shouldn't dismiss your material. At, like you shouldn't dismiss a bad set if you have a bad set. That doesn't mean like, oh, I'll get them next time. No, it means like, no, you had a bad set, motherfucker. What you need to do is figure out why. And uh, it doesn't mean you need to overanalyze it, but just kind of give a little postmortem of it. 
And then it doesn't mean you need to come back the very next week and try to have a good, unless it's like a regular mic you're at, you know, often or whatever. But I'm saying like, what I used to do is I wanted to get better. I knew in order to get better, I wanted to be good in the rooms that were the toughest. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to figure out how to get laughs consistently in those places, but I wouldn't go there week after week, after week, after week, I would Mm -hmm. go there and see how I did. If I did it, if I had a bad set, I wouldn't go back right away. I would come back maybe two, three weeks later because there's a lot of mics. You can rotate in and out of all that stuff. Um, And what not to do, uh, don't just hang out and party and shit. That that shit doesn't do anything. Yeah, you might be, you know, people, this whole thing of like being a good hang, that's if you're like working after a while, but (laughs) when you're trying to like get, when you're just trying to sit out, you know, no one hangs out in the third grade after they graduate. You know? <laughs> and and so it's kind of like you the the hanging out aspect. Cause I I, I tried, yeah, I hung out, right. I did drugs and drank with these people. Right. Didn't do a look good. There's nothing. I hung out with people and, and drank and party with people that are, you know, working like beyond me, that right. are on TV, that are on podcasts that are famous and all that kind of shit. And it didn't do me a look of good. How do you okay remember? I get so. that. Um, okay. Here's another one just for me. Do you ever feel like you're like anxious? Like, okay, I got to do something with this career. What am I going to do with this career? Like I'm, I'm getting that point where I'm like five years into comedy and sometimes five years into comedy. I I know, but sometimes I think I'm not doing enough. You're five years into comedy, man. You're still, here's the thing. Colin Quinn said this the best. You're as many years into comedy or, or how, whatever years you've been in comedy, that's how old you are in comedy. So you're five years old. I'm 13. I'm just hitting puberty. So there's it's it's and, and to be honest, like, again, the, the, the what where that's comparative thinking. All right. If if you know, if you're going to if, if you're going to spend your time comparing yourself to others, it's not, it's just a waste of time, man. If you want, if you want to better your station at what you're doing, just look at the people who you, who you respect, who you, you know, who you see have what you have. This is a recovery principle and, um, and try to learn from what they they're doing and, and try to, it's, you know, I want to say so much like, you know, mimic their work process. I, it, I couldn't tell you because guess what, man? I'm not that successful, Alex. I don't know if you noticed, man. I'm just a local working comic. But it seems have, like you have your I shit have, together. But I look at you and it seems like you have your but shit that's together. Again, there, the, the fact is, is I could look at it from one angle and be like, yeah, this is, oh, this is, and believe me, I love my life. It's super fucking cool. However, when I'm in the green room at the punchline around the all the past comics, especially the ones passed recently, uh, they're cocky motherfuckers, man. They're, they're like, they... It's just like being in getting into comedy is like being in junior high all over again as an adult. All right. And, and you see where people's true character comes in. I like real people. All right. There's, there are people who are, have been doing comedy, you know, uh, that are my number of years, uh, maybe even less who are working comics, who, if you invited them to do your podcast, They'd be like, um, no, I, I can't really do it or whatever, because they look down on a station of like, you know, unless it's something that's going to get them clout or whatever the fuck the currency is on social media 
traction or YouTube or anything else like that. They don't want to offer, they don't want to have just a regular conversation with somebody. To me, I'm like, this is a pod. I've seen you have this podcast for a while. Uh, haven't watched an episode of it or, or heard one, but I know that it's something that you put out, you put work into it and I respect you. And I dare I say, I love you, Alex. You're a cool dude. I like seeing you at stuff. You and, crack me up, Dave. Hey, you crack me up. I know up. you're working hard, man. I know you're, I know you're trying to work. Plus you, you have a wife, you know, you got a family, you got a job. I know you're trying to figure all this stuff out, but here's the thing. Don't put so much pressure on yourself. Have fun doing the work. Like this is a job. Again, you, you want to make it a job. It, it is work, but it's, if it's a job that you want. And, and again, if you, if you truly, you know, it's, it's just like what Tarantino says about making films. If you truly love movies and you truly love creating stuff, you can't help, but make something interesting and make that's something some, good. that that's something I wanted to ask you. We've been going over, we're on overtime right now. Just to let you know you're you oh, I really like Bill Maher. We're in overtime now, <laughs> but I wanted yeah. to ask you like when you got into comedy. Oh yeah. Oh. Somebody's telling you to stop, man. You had the door. Yeah, the wife is telling me to stop. Yeah, but basically did you think about the acting did, like was, or did that come later? I don't care about it. I mean, I've done some acting. I'm not a good actor either. I'm the best you don't actor. Do on- that? No, I would. I'm just, I'm a better actor on stage. I'm not a trained actor. I'm, I'm in a movie. I'm probably one of the better parts in it what too, movie? but I'm not a good actor. Uh, it's movie? called Liver La Honda. It's a, it's, okay. you can find it on Tubi or whatever. I don't, I don't really, it's, it's got some good moments. I'm one of the comic relief in it, but What's I'm it also called like, again? not, huh? What's it called what? again? Live or die in La Honda. Okay. If you, if you look at me and Dave on IMDb, you can see everything I've been in. I've actually, I have an IMDb page. So we'll check it out. Well, hey, you saw the look on her on the door. She's pretty yeah, mad. Yeah. I got it. That's up. my producer. That's the wife. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, so. you know, honestly, I got you on the podcast because I wanted to talk some movies like Renfield. And some we'll do that again. We'll do that another time. You, yeah, you, you I'm really start all the comedy talk, motherfucker. I know. So I'm really you. in the movies, but dude, you really yeah. helped me out. I love the sobriety talk because I've been there, and I think yeah. maybe you can help out some comedians just joining, checking out the podcast. And I yeah, appreciate do, Dave coming on here. Yeah. Totally, man. Thanks for having me. It's been fun talking to you, man. Always. All right, movies next time. Not so serious, yeah. okay? No, believe me. I, I will make sure we talk movies. I thought we were talking movies too, motherfucker. But <laughs> then we got all you. serious about comedy. I know. I oh, you, you, this is on you. This is on you. It's your fault, man. <laughs> all right, dude. You have a good right, one. Dude. Later. Later. Hey, that's been the podcast. I got to go. You saw the white issues. But I hope you guys enjoyed it. You know, Mean Dave is a great comedian in the Bay Area, and he's taught me a lot. And uh, definitely check, check him out on a show. He'll be on some shows with me. Uh, check out my Instagram, underscore Alex Winning Comedy. I got some shows coming up. And uh, also check out Heat Club. They usually provide the music with this episode. We didn't play any, so we had to dive right in. It's a long one. And uh, definitely check out, go to silvertongueaudio.org. It's a great website. They got my podcast there free of downloads and they got Silver Tongue Audio. Go there because you'll see Days and Disturbed. You'll see, uh, oh shoot, NBC podcast, non-player character podcast is a great one. Go to silvertongueaudio.org. You get free podcasts, free a click right there. 
Thank you guys for checking it out. God bless. Come see me live. It's better than the podcast. Thank you. Go check out me and Dave. Bye. Silver Tongue Audio.